Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Uh, this show is sponsored by United Recovery Project. We are a substance abuse, drug, and alcohol facility in South Florida. We do all levels of care from detox to residential to IOP to sober living. If you guys are struggling with anything substance abuse related, we can help. Methadone, painkillers, Xanax, alcohol, meth, crack, anything. So if you're struggling, please uh, reach out to the 1-800 number at the beginning of this show. Today, I got Randy Q with me. Randy Q was uh, recommended from uh, my sponsor, actually. He actually has his own podcast, his own platform. Uh, I know he's got a hell of a story. He was showing me a little bit about you know where he's from and what he's been doing with his life. So, Randy, where are you from? Good morning, Brian. Thank morning. you for having me here on the show. My name is Randy Q, and I'm in recovery as well with 22 years clean. Nice. Although I've been around, Brian, for 29 years, I should be celebrating 29 years this month. February wow. 17th was my... So you got introduced to your program 29 years ago? Absolutely. And then relapsed for eight years? For six. For six. For okay. six. Oh, yeah. Because I have about six and a half years, mm-hmm. so but I'll take twenty two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't complaining about the twenty two. I just making a statement. I yeah. should have twenty nine. I'll take twenty two. I did the vicious cycle thing for about six and a half years, mm-hmm. scraping my knees and hurting myself trying to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Where did it all start? Yeah, I'm born and raised in East LA. So What's your background? You're Mexican? The, yeah, yeah. The, well, the, I'm half Mexican, too. Are you half Mexican? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My man, boy, hey. we, we need to talk about enchiladas oh, and rice hey. and beans and exchange grandma yeah. recipes. What? Yeah, I'll bring my grandma here right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tamales. Yeah. 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 What part of Mexico? I tell you what, Brian, that part has been like shameful and guilt Mm -hmm. because I don't speak Spanish. Neither do I. Oh, really? My Spanish is very bad. I know how to say, Donde esta la plata? Yeah. Manos arriba. Okay. <laughs> e drugs. Yeah, yeah. Drogas. Drogas. Yeah. And the drug culture, you speak yeah. all like it's universal. The perico. Yeah. <laughs> but my grandmother was the last one to speak fluent Spanish. Wow. And she's never passed it down to any of my aunts or uncles. So your parents didn't speak Spanish? My parents do not speak Spanish. Wow. They're 100%. Hispanic, Chicano, Mexican, and they don't know Spanish. That's my parents cool. are lowriders. They're ex-gang members, OGs, both wow. of my parents. Both of your parents. Yeah. yeah. So what was growing up like? Yeah, so I was born and raised in East LA in the projects, and the name of the projects, the legit name was William Mead Housing Projects. Mm-hmm. The street name, the gang name was Dogtown Projects. Mm-hmm. And I grew up 1449 Magdalena Street, apartment 119, building C. 
That is where it all began for me. And my mother and my father are heroin addicts, and they split up when I was about six months, and my mother remarried a man by the name of Johnny, and we lived in the projects, and Johnny is my stepfather that raised me for maybe the first 14 years. Hmm. My father was strung out on heroin. My grandmother, the one that knows the fluent Spanish, is an ex-drug dealer. Wow. I say ex because she passed away now. Okay. So she passed away in 2004, but she was a heroin dealer. She, My grandmother was no joke. She sold heroin wow. out the bedroom window for 40 years. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Out the window. Out the bedroom window for 40 years. And if, and if you were one of my grandmother's regular customer, she will let you come inside. Use her restroom to geese to wow. fix heroin. So she will sell you a $20 bag mm -hmm. and then she will let you get down in her bathroom. Wow. And we were kids running around visiting my grandma. We seen all of this activity going on. Did you on. know what it was? When did you find out what it was? But because I was so young, Brian, on some level, I knew. It was it, adult it, stuff? Yeah. On some level, brother, I knew it was illegal. But another part of me felt it was normal because it was so regular mm -hmm. like i knew no other life it was just constant traffic at my grandmother's mm -hmm. house i knew like on some level i knew that it was dope and illegal activity and but i didn't get like a, a growing awareness to maybe like eight years old and you probably weren't scared i was really not scared but i remember being at the house with my mother in the projects and the phone rang. It was the old school phone that's still plugged into mm -hmm. the wall <laughs> that you had to answer. And my grandmother told my mother that my father overdosed. Hmm. And my mother immediately started crying. And then my big brother started crying. And then, so I didn't even know what I was crying about. I just picked up their energy. Started I started crying. crying. Yeah. And then I heard my brother tell my mom, I hope he doesn't die. And that was the first time I heard the word overdose. overdose. Mm. was about seven or eight years old. Now, my mother was also using heroin. Mm -hmm. My stepfather, Johnny, was not an gotcha. addict. But he had his defects. Mm -hmm. You know, in the twelve-step program, we call them defects. He had his defects of control, jealousy, anger, and he would beat my mom. Mm -hmm. So he physically abused my mother with black eyes, busted lips, like in front of us. And we were so heartbroken, man, and, and seeing all that. But my mother stood loaded that whole relationship. She was sneak hmm. to go to my dad's house because my grandmother sold him the stuff. Yeah. She was sneak to meet with my dad, hang out with my dad, and then come home before my stepfather came mm. home from work. Wow. So what happened later on in your story? How did yeah. Randy Q grow up? Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you asked that, man, because I'm actually writing a book right now, and mm -hmm. I'm on chapter two, and the... Chapter one is called, in the beginning, chapter two is called The Great Fall Apart. That's the part where my family has split up. And what I'm talking about is my mother was a heroin addict. My stepfather finally got tired of her. 
and left. Mm -hmm. Now, they have a sister. They had two kids, and that was Dolly and my brother Jeffrey. And my brother Jeffrey passed away when he was a baby. So we have an infant death in our family. He was eight, nine months old. Up to this day, Brian, it's a mystery. I still don't know how he passed away. I was not there. I was at my grandmother's house, the drug dealer. I I was staying with her while my mother went to prison. My mother did 17 years in prison. Mm. I don't have no sweet little old lady tortilla-making grandmother. My mother is a heroin addict and did 17 years in the penitentiary. And one time she was in the penitentiary, and I was forced to go live with my real dad and Mm -hmm. my grandmother. And I didn't want to be there because on some level I knew there was drug trafficking. I wanted to be with my stepdad. So you grew up with your grandma? I grew up with my grandmother from the age of 10, 11 up. But mm-hmm. the first 10, 11 years, I was in the projects with my stepdad and my mother. Yeah. Now, on weekends, they would shoot me to my road dad's house. Gotcha. And I used to kick, scream, cry, fight that because on some level, I was uncomfortable, man. My dad is is a gang member and using, and my uncles are gang members and using, and my grandmother is selling dope. Mm -hmm. And we were forced to go with my real dad on weekends. My brother was- What would you see? Like parties, whatever? Well, I would would see the gang clothes. I would see the tattoos. I would see the guns. I would see the bullets. I would see the syringes. I would see the balloons on the West Coast. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that I heard that East Coast wraps their heroin differently. But on the West Coast, they used to be balloons. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. They used to balloon their stuff up. Yeah, on the East Coast, they do wax paper bags. It is paper bags. (laughs) And didn't they stamp them? Yeah, they do the stamp. Y'all don't do that? No, but I heard on speaker tapes that they used to get stamped. Tragic magic, body bag, death. Death on arrival. (laughs) Death on arrival, they used to name their heroin. Well, over here, no names? At least the part, the area where I grew up in Boyle Heights, in Lincoln balloons. Heights, El Sereno, it was all balloons. My grandmother packaged the stuff and balloon with the blender and the funnels and the quarter tea mm-hmm. spoons. And, and I used to hear them doing, I could hear the, the razor blade. And I yeah. could hear the blender because they will, they will blend the heroin with the lactose. Uh-huh. And I'll hear the, yeah, the cut. Zzz! And, and then I, I would see. And they weren't tortillas. No, they weren't tortillas, <laughs> man. They would have said, mijo, they're ready. They yeah. weren't tortillas, man. Okay. And so I, I grew up like that, and I was forced to go to my dad's house on the weekends, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go because I felt unsafe. And what was the trip, Brian, is my big brother. I got a big brother named mm-hmm. Robert, and his nickname or his gang name is Turtle. And my brother did 29 years in the penitentiary called Corcoran. Hmm. And he looks just like me, handsome, (laughs) Hispanic, handsome. Abs. Yeah, abs. (laughs) Abs. And he's tattooed down from the chin all the way to his feet. Mm -hmm. And he died of a heroin overdose. Wow, and that's your cousin? No, that's my brother, Oh, your brother, your brother, brother Robert. My brother, Turtle, died 
of how many years older was, he was two and a half years wow older so you guys are close in age absolutely my brother loved going to my we had two different responses my brother couldn't wait, wait till friday came to get around over there. yeah he couldn't understand how i would kick and scream and not mm -hmm. want to go and not come on go with your dad and he couldn't wait he had a very bad rocky relationship with my stepdad where i on the other hand had a pretty decent relationship with my stepdad mm -hmm. my mother would get loaded and my stepdad would beat her up and then my my stepdad finally left and took his daughter dolly and it was his son jeffrey who was the baby that died mm. and when they left that's what I was. I got jumped in the uh, Mexican gang at ten years old. Now it's like really like they really jump you. Yeah. Like break your I, nose. No, they didn't break my nose. Like they're hitting you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But you know what I remember, man? I seen enough in the projects. I seen enough gang activity where they would do the initiation, where they would jump someone in and get cracked nose. Mm -hmm. So I seen enough of that. So when my turn came, I knew to cover, cover. up and hit the, I didn't even swing back. Gotcha. I knew to cover the important parts and hit the floor. And I knew within seconds, it'll be over, even though it How many seconds eternity. is it supposed to be? I don't remember, brother. <laughs> hey, you, I'm 50 I've, years old. You talk about 40 yeah, years ago. I've seen, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Sinombre. You probably haven't seen no. it. No, uh, but they do like a jump gang initiation. I was always like, is that real? Yeah, yeah. So it's real. Oh, it was it was real in 1981 yeah, yeah. or 82. Okay. It was real then. How and old were you when you got jumped in? About 10 or 11 years old, brother. Wow. I was around 10 or 11 years old. And my, now, who, who like, what made you want to join the gang? Yeah, my brother. Your brother was I like, followed his footsteps all the he way to the penitentiary to heroin. My brother was two and a half years older than me, and he was my God. He was my first higher power, like mm -hmm. we say in the Tulsa program. My dad and mom were busy using. They were absent. They were mm -hmm. not meeting emotional core needs to grow a healthy kid up. My brother fed me. My brother ironed wow. my clothes. Wow. My brother... Uh, taught me how to talk to girls, how to how to how to put on a how to hair be a net. Man. Yeah. So I did everything that he did, and when he joined the gang, I followed. Hmm. So he's the one. But not only that, so I followed him. But it was heavily present in the environment I grew up. So so my dad is Berlon from Dogtown. My Aunt Arlene is Cookie from Dogtown. That's their names. Yeah, those are their nicknames. My dad is Paloma. My Aunt Arlene is Cookie. My brother's Turtle. My nickname was Bird. My mother is Virgie. All from Dogtown from the projects mm -hmm. right there. So when I see my aunts, uncles, and cousins, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this kid right here is headed for trouble. Yeah. So what was years like in the gang and when did like, you know, the crime come into play? Yeah. There was no real stability in the house. Mm -hmm. We got to make our own rules, even as a young kid. So getting drugs were always in the picture. I started seeing drugs before I took drugs because they were in the house, not at the park, not at high school. They were in the house. My grandmother was dealing. My dad and mom mm -hmm. were fixing, listening to oldies and Motown in the background. And then I joined all that once my stepfather was out of the picture. I followed suit of mm -hmm. the family tree. 
And I remember the first crime that I did was it was my big brother that put a gun in my hand. I was like 14, he was 16, and we did a carjack at Denny's, at a Denny's restaurant, which is real big here on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. A Denny's parking lot, a Chinese guy, and we took his car. Wow. That was the first crime. So after that... At gunpoint, like, give me the keys, I'm taking the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after that... I shortly got arrested after that. I didn't have no big old crime. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly got arrested after that. Yeah, yeah. And I was in and out of juvenile hall from the age of 14 all the way to 18. Hmm. And it's called, over here in LA, Brian, it's called East Lake Juvenile Hall. And I went to a juvenile camp for about 10 months. School was What was the camp the like? Picture. I went to juvenile camp where everybody wore the same pants, dark jeans, white t-shirts. You had a job. My job was folding laundry, but everybody has some sort of job. Every other day, they took you out into reservoirs to clean up trash, sides of the freeway. You did community work every other day. And then the days you did not go out of the community on these vans, mm -hmm. they had crews. They had like three crews, A, B, and C, and you would go to different parts of that city where the camp was at. And do cleanup? And do cleanup, yeah, a lot wow. of cleanup, yeah. And then the people that did not go, because they used to make us switch off. Like, let's say juvenile camp had 100 people. 50 will go, 50 will stay. The 50 that and they stay, rotate them. Clean, yeah, they rotate them. And then we will clean up, and then we will have recreation at night, play softball, soccer. Mm -hmm. And there was a female camp, like maybe a mile away, and they had this thing called the merit ladder. And the merit ladder means one through a hundred. Whoever was on the best behavior, each staff member that covered the shift, like my last name is Quinones. Let's say Mr. Brady gave me a five, and then Mrs. Jones gave me a five, mm -hmm. and then Mr. Smith gives me a five. So at the end of the week, you would add points. And the higher the points you got, the higher you were on the and merit ladder. ladder. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a merit ladder for 100 people, but the top 20 will go to the dance with the females. Wow. So they would have dances once a month. To entice people. To 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 get us as positive reinforcement, wow. to be on your best behavior, to see the girls. Wow. And they had the same system for the, for girls. the girls. That's crazy. And that's how I did my time. And then shortly after that, Brian, drugs entered the picture. And I'm going to So before that, back. it was like primarily like, like petty crimes or whatever, and then it turned into drugs? It was, it was primarily petty crime involving drugs. Mm -hmm. So drugs always been in the picture as I was a gang member. Mm -hmm. And then drugs progressed. My disease progressed where it became priority. The gang and hanging out in the corner and holding it up for the hood, I could no longer manage both lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So I was undercover getting high, but I was still trying to front with the homies. Mm -hmm. But my disease progressed, and I couldn't even hold up. Now, me. like, in the gang, like, like, what's your job duties, like, as a yeah. gang member? Like, what do you have to do to be in yeah. the gang? You know what? I heard, I'm not real familiar with other gang's system outside of being in jail mm -hmm. and meeting guys from other barrios, other hoods, and kind of, you know, exchanging ideas and information. The gang that I was in had no real hierarchy or no real 
uh, systematic roles or duties or responsibility. It was just more. Rep the hood. It, it was a brotherhood, man, and there was no real assignments or gotcha. organized crime gang type mm -hmm. deal. Now, I heard some other gangs are very organized mm -hmm. and with a hierarchy system. Mm -hmm. That wasn't our, we didn't have like, boom. We had guys that had a strong presence mm -hmm. and like natural leadership talents mm -hmm. or tendencies where they, where people will gravitate towards them, but then that will die down because that guy would get arrested. Or, gotcha. I remember one time this guy, Chato, he got married early and left, mm -hmm. never came back. And that was like one, your podcast is called Hell Has an Exit. Gang life for me was hell. It was not fun. Mm -hmm. And when I seen Chato get married and leave, Hal had an exit through that. And I looked at that, man, and, like, inside, I was like, man, why can't that be me? Mm -hmm. But everybody talked about him negatively. Like a traitor. Yeah, yeah. Like, like like he betrayed, yeah. Like, you ever hear that story of the crabs grabbing each other out of the bucket? Mm -hmm. All the crabs at the bucket, one gets to the top, the other one grabs them. It, it kind of felt like that, but... And it wasn't all painful or bad. There was a lot of fun memories yeah. but heroin came in and i need to tell you man heroin drove me to do things man most of my prison time involved heroin mm -hmm. just having bundles of heroin having fresh needle marks most of my my jail career yeah because at some time heroin. you could go to jail for just having track marks right that that was back in the day man they called yeah. it a 90 day mark beef mark as in your mark they called it a nine why are you in your owns that got me on the mark beef that meant automatically 90 days wow. trial and then yeah. you kick in jail i have kicked in jail no fun oh every now God. and then the homeboys will give you a snickers bar mm -hmm. or try to give you something to kick yeah easier man wow so when you started using so before that it was like what marijuana and alcohol and then you found heroin absolutely it was not marijuana or alcohol it was straight to heroin wow you didn't even smoke I, or drink oh uh, uh, i mean i've tried dabbled like tried that but i was never consistent or a regular thing wow. weed makes me paranoid man i never yeah. liked that high and drinking well, that never did it that that takes too long yeah i always said that to it takes in. too long yeah, yeah man i think there's a few reasons why i fell in love with heroin the first one is in the drug culture you could be whatever you want to be and mm -hmm. i already had low self-esteem low self-image no value no gifts no no direction no substance no aim purpose now i learned all this stuff way after i got clean mm -hmm. i didn't know this was happening when i was in it and the drug culture and, and make-believe la la land you could be anything you want to be mm -hmm. and and not only that i feel like there were so many holes in my life where as soon as i did heroin it plugged all the holes in wow and that was my mother being in prison and my dad being strung out, never tossed a football at mm -hmm. me. And so I believe in childhood issues. Yeah, I believe a lot of our child. stuff could be traced to childhood issues mm -hmm. and that there's core emotional needs that need to be met early on 
or else it's going to birth an insecurity, and that insecurity drives a lot of our defects or behaviors. Beautifully said, 100%. So, but, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I'm a big believer well, in that Were you getting heroin from your grandma? I have got heroin from my grandmother, not on credit. I had mm -hmm. to pay. <laughs> she would see me sick, and I would act more sick. Like yeah. when I knew she would like come like around. I would like, yeah, well, when she would walk by or come her in the room, I would act more sick, hoping that she would say, "Here, wow, go get well in the bathroom." Or no. <laughs> so she never, my grandmother never gave me a freebie, but she has given me credit mm -hmm. where I had no money and I would say the words. I would She's say, Grandma, I'm can sick. you give me one and, and I'll pay you when I get the money? I promise. And that had a short life because mm -hmm. I couldn't pay. Yeah. So that, when I would make those promises, that was no substance, mm -hmm. no weight. That had a short life. What, are the, what was the next few years as a heroin gang member living in East L.A. look yeah, like? Yeah, well, the gang member got decreased and kicked to as the side. As soon as you started man. doing heroin. heroin I eventually went to the streets, and I became a street drug addict, homeless, living in abandoned buildings, living in empty cars. One time there was a... There was a, a laundromat, and behind the laundromat was a set of couches like this. Of course, they were old, raggedy, and flea-infested, mm -hmm. and there was like three or four heroin addicts uh, living on these in the open air. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I just, I stood with them for about a year, man. So I was literally homeless, eating out of trash cans, man, hustling, panhandling, stealing, going in people's yards, for smash cans, a skateboard, a bike, mm. whatever was in the yard, and sell it for $10 to fix. And that became a 24-hour thing for a long time until I would get busted, man. Mm. When did you start? Did you ever get help or go to treatment? I remember in East L.A., I remember there was a treatment center right across the street from my grandmother's house. My grandma was a dealer, and then we were, you know, hanging out there a lot, mm -hmm. and right across the street was a treatment center. Wow. It was a rehab. And they had 12-step meetings on Tuesdays and Saturdays. I mean, I, I swear to you, Brian, it was literally across the street, like that beach house right mm -hmm. there. And I'm on heroin, and they have meetings on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and they would even put a sign in front of the door of, of a specific 12-step program. I couldn't get there. That was like walking from here to, I was, I was so strung out and caught up in the grip that that was walking like from here to China. And yeah. it was just across the street. Couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. Seen it every day for years. Wow. And one day there was a guy. And, his, and you know what? That's the point of the podcast is because like, man, there's some people that like walking into a meeting is like, man, it takes so much to pick up the phone and call. Man, when you're using, you're like, why would I even call? Because they're not going to sit. Like, you just feel Absolutely. like anything to better yourself is just not even going to work anyways. And it's so hard that, like, maybe through the podcast, somebody might be able to hear something. And it, it does. People message me all the time. They're like, man, I thought 12-step meetings were whack until I listened oh, to yeah. your podcast. Absolutely. I thought meetings were going to be good. like this. Or I never even thought to go to a meeting up until I heard your podcast. Or people said, "Oh, I went to the I went to meetings and I didn't really like it, so I stopped going." And then people are like, "I got reintroduced to the program through this." So, 
this guy who I heard speak when I first got clean would always say, there's someone getting high right now in a five-mile radius that will never hear something like this. Yeah. So when I speak at meetings, or I work in treatment now. I'm cool Mm -hmm. now. I've been working in treatment for 21 years, and I've been speaking for the 12-step fellowship for 17 years on a grand level. Mm -hmm. Um, There's somebody in the penitentiary or in the hospital begging for the opportunity that we have in front of mm-hmm. us. So this is opportunity that what's happening. One of the issues is there's no such thing as instant greatness, instant maturity. There's instant oatmeal, but there's no <laughs> such thing. So I always yeah, teach yeah. this, right? That recovery is crock pot. It's not microwaving. Mm-hmm. That's why we have a lot of Pop-Tarts running around our fellowship today, yep. but it's not microwave this is a slow walk Mm -hmm. but you cannot imitate the taste of what comes out of a microwave like the simmering of Mm -hmm. a crock pot so even though a crock pot takes longer the end product the result can't be duplicated different yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so it's a process yeah and that's addict's biggest struggle is that we are microwave motherfuckers you know we are instant gratifying we don't see results quickly we don't see and um you know i always say like maturity is giving up instant gratification for Mm -hmm. long-term gain Mm -hmm. and that's in finances that's in dieting that's in whatever across across the board like you know the the key to success is being able to suffer now for a long-term game later that's not even promised absolutely you know let's go back to the story so you start using homeless eating out of dumpsters how old are you at this point about uh 19 wow it lasted from 19 to 28 Hmm. so a good nine and a half years i was living that way now how much jail time between that about seven years Wait, did seven years? Yeah, not what from was... 19 to 28, from 14 to 28. Seven years. I did a total of seven years locked up. What was prison like as an adult? Yeah, prison, as it is, I was a gang member. Mm-hmm. And then Mexican, and then in L.A., and then California, where Hispanics are deep. So when you go to jail, you click up. With your the, kind. With, with your kind, with your people, with the South Side, with the Sudanians, with, mm-hmm. with, with whatever whatever part of LA you're from. I'm from the East Side, so we called ourselves the East Side Car. Then you got San Gabriel Valley, Orange County, Inland Empire, the Harbor area, the San Fernando Valley, West Los, and uh, I'm, I'm with the East Los guys. So that prison life, man, was all about clicks, all about the homies. I never, I tried my hardest to avoid dope in prison. Mm -hmm. Every now and then, I would get high if the opportunity presented itself for free. Mm -hmm. I I never really chased the dragon in the penitentiary like I did in the streets. I, I don't even know how that happened, man, but I was able not to get real deep into the drug game in the system. Did you ever get, because I know a lot of people get pulled into religion in prison. Never. Never happened for you? No, man. Religion was never. What's funny, Brother Brian, is now I'm a pastor. Mm. I am an ordained minister, and I preach every Sunday. I'm also in recovery with 22 years clean. Mm. However, growing up, the way I grew up with my grandmother and my parents, uh, going to church was not in their schedule to send us. <laughs> yeah. no, no. So yeah. I was never exposed to it. Maybe in the projects, there was a few religious 
family that were primarily Catholic, because most Latinos mm-hmm. are primarily Catholic. Catholic. Yeah. yeah, I'm Christian, but most families were Catholic. And when I would see them get dressed up to go to church, my image of church folks was perfect perfection and i was me and my whole family was far from being perfect so Mm -hmm. i thought god didn't want anything to do with me and i reject that belief now Mm -hmm. in the penitentiary all throughout my life that did not play a role until i have four years clean wow so let's talk about so you're in and out for for years what was like the end for you the last couple of years using yeah, sure, like... Sure, absolutely. So the jail, the streets, using and being homeless, and detoxes, those three were the rotation. That was the laundry. Yeah, man, that was the spin cycle, Brian. And then I remember my mother got mm-hmm. clean. July wow. 9th, yeah. Mom's, in the 12-step program? My mom is in the 12-step program today and active wow. with a sponsor and sponsees. And she has more clean time than you? She has 27. Get out of here. My mother has How did your mom get clean? What introduced my, uh, her to recovery? My my mother my mother got clean through a girl that she used to get high with named Bertha. And my mother did a lot of prison time and Bertha was in prison with her. I think and I well, heard Bertha's speaker tape. She's a speaker? Bertha? I don't know. I, I'm not. not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, however, there was a woman named Bertha. I don't even remember where she's at. Now. I don't know if Bertha died or is on the run, relapse. Mm-hmm. But I know that Bertha played a role in getting my mother clean because my mother was on the streets and she was violating her parole mm-hmm. and she was on the corner and too tired to hustle. Now, I know my mom's story. She had on these big old glasses where she was hiding her face and her eyes, her bloodshot eyes. She had her hair in a little ball, wasn't blow-dried or anything. Mm-hmm. And she had on a man's Pendleton wow. and some Levi's, and she was too tired to hustle. And this girl, Bertha, seen her and took her home. Wow. And Bertha had a year clean. Now, when you use and did prison time with somebody for 20 years, mm-hmm. a year clean is like 50 yeah. years clean. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying? It's when like you, a you, unicorn. It's like seeing the snowman in Florida. It's like you can't even be. Yeah. When you use with someone and you see that they're clean for lengths of time, it's crazy because I always share. Like I was never using and someone was like, hey, you heard what happened to so-and-so? They're clean. Yeah. It was like always. Yeah. You heard what happened to so and so? They're in jail. You yeah. heard what happened to so and so? They're on subs. That's you heard what happened good. to so and so? I never was in a crack house and someone was like, "Oh yeah, Mike, he's a doctor now." Yeah. You know, like yeah. it just never happened. There uh-huh. was no, there was nobody getting clean. That's so true. That's so true. It, it wasn't man. a thing. It uh-huh. was. It was like <laughs> that shit just didn't yeah, happen, that's man. Good, yeah, man. This girl Bertha had a year clean. Mm-hmm. Seen my mother, identified her. Virgie, is that you? My mom came up out of asleep and mm-hmm. said, "Bertha and and this lady took my mother home. Tried to get my mother into a detox, 
and told my mother she could stay on her couch until there's a bed opening. Wow. A bed never opened, Brian. And she just got clean on the couch? She kicked on the couch in meetings. So Bertha, Bertha was going to meetings and told my mother, Virgie, you could kick on my couch, but you got to go to meetings with me until mm-hmm. a bed opens up. A bed never opened wow. up, and my mother went to meetings and kicked inside the meetings. Wow. You know, that always blows my mind because I hear so many stories of, like, you know, back in the day with the original founders of the 12 step meeting like that was normal back then oh, yeah. people just got clean in people's houses uh, people's but it's like couch. Keep, yeah. i've been clean 13 years right. i've helped tons of people i love to help you i love to do it but i ain't not letting no using addict come kick <laughs> on my couch i don't care how spiritual i get one day it's like bro that is not happening to me I don't care yeah, we grew up together yes, i don't yes, care sir. we family yeah man and it's like and I say that to commend people that do that yeah. because I couldn't imagine being like, yo, I'm going to go to work. Don't use. I'm going to take you to a meeting tonight. Oh, no. There's some food in the fridge. Like to me, that level of like yeah. love and compassion in the fellowship is amazing oh, yeah. that it, it has existed. And yeah. some people still do that. Yeah. You know, nowadays I'd rather be like, yo, man, I'll pay for your first week yeah. of halfway. You it, know? It's a rarity, yeah. 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 And I tell you what, because I grew up old school, I actually did that, Brian, wow. until I had a daughter. Yeah. And I brought no, and still don't bring no. My daughter's 16 now. Hmm. I have a teenager who's a sophomore at, at high school. Since I have my daughter, I, I just don't bring men home exactly yeah, so yeah. now now bertha took my mother home a bed never opened up my mother kicked the toss-up meetings because that was one of the requirements if you were going to stay on bertha's mm-hmm. couch and she ended up staying with bertha for a whole year wow. my mother's my mother's treatment for her first year was, was bertha's couch wow when my mother had five years clean she took my father to treatment hmm so my mother became a strong 12-step member, and she started meeting other 12-step members that were connected to rehabs. And she said, hey, can you get my ex-husband in where you work at? Somebody told her, yeah. She went to go get my dad, put him in treatment, and he stood clean for 16, 15 and a half years clean. Wow. Until the day he died, man. Wow. And, and she Your helped dad my, got clean she too. Helped my father, my mother was the first one to get clean, and she's still clean, alive, healthy, and strong. Wow. Lives five minutes away from me, Bram. Wow. Um, now she might pop up any second. She comes here a lot, but hey, we'll throw on the show. <laughs> wow. We'll throw on the show, yeah, yeah. On the show. Hey, Brian, she helped my mu- my father get clean wow and four months later she got me clean wow hey that's because like you know a lot of times people talk about like statistics or whatever and it's like statistically one in like a thousand people make it to a year clean i've seen families get clean yeah. and it's like where's the statistic in that and it's yeah. like you oh. know just like a family can pass down addiction they could pass down recovery, recovery, you know? So it's like just how, like, genetically you can grow up in a sick, fucked up environment. And it's like, oh. bro, there is no, there is zero chance of you not becoming a gang member and oh, not yeah. becoming on heroin. It was predispositioned. But it's like when you get clean, that impact you have on somebody and the whole community around oh, yeah. you is so important oh, yeah. that it's like, man, like when I started doing drugs, I want to get everyone on drugs. Oh, yeah. I used to tell my friends, like, man, crack is just like Coke, oh, yeah. but you can sleep on it and eat on it. Yeah. And they were like, 
And I used to say there's no calm down. Yeah, yeah, and my yeah. friends would be like, let me try it. And then 10 minutes later, they'd be like, man, you liar. Yeah. But it's that's like, hilarious. that's how convincing I was. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. like, I just wanted you to try it because you'll, yeah. you'll forgive me later. Absolutely. And it's like, man, in recovery, man, I tell everyone, like, man, if you get clean, you'll be a millionaire. Yes. You get all the girls, yes. whatever. And you know what? That might happen. But it's like the reality is, is like I get enjoyment from seeing people get clean and work the 12 steps. Oh, yeah. That's like my mission in life. Yeah, and you know? bud and bloom and blossom. It's the best feeling ever. Absolutely. I love I love seeing people that everyone else gave up on and just seeing them turn their the life around dogs, and yeah. prove prove everyone wrong yeah. so wow that's amazing so your mom got clean and is still clean and lives five minutes away and has double digits multiple decades clean right until this, this day she lives in the same apartment her first year mm -hmm. was on bertha's couch but working on year two she moved to the san fernando valley from east l.a and been in that same apartment now brian my dad's in treatment. My brother is is fighting a life sentence. Mm -hmm. I remember he got broke off eight years, and Turtle was alive. He was fighting a, a life sentence, and my dad was in rehab, and my mother had five years clean, and I'm shooting dope in the apartment building laundry room of my mother's. Mm. Where my mother lived in apartment six, they got a laundry room, and I used to shoot dope in there. While my brother's fighting life, my dad, this is my family. I yeah. got a brother fighting a life sentence, and I have a dad inside rehab, and then I'm inside the laundry room of my mother's apartment, Getting not out. even caring about her neighbors or her manager. Mm -hmm. I used to shoot dope in there and then go into my mom's house to enjoy a meal or take a shower, and she's the one that got me into treatment at the same rehab that my father was in. Wow. Now, that was not easy because at first they did not want to let father and son do rehab together. Yeah. They thought it was too crazy. They thought we would lead each other to we, use. We don't allow it. The, we don't allow couples and we don't allow siblings. Okay. So you the know only way we would allow it is if one completes one level and we'll allow the other one to go to that level. But we don't allow it. Because you're trying to deal with these issues with your father. It's oh, very hard. Oh, so yeah. the fact that they let it happen yeah. is, a, is a rarity. So, you know, I'm glad things worked out. It's amazing. Yeah, they, it did work out. My mother took me to treatment. And when I went in there, I did. I lasted four months in rehab. Mm -hmm. My father stood there 14 months. Wow. My dad loved that rehab. I <laughs> I left wow. ATA. I didn't complete. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said four months, 40 days. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a four in my head. I left treatment, and I went back to my mother's, to her couch, and there was a 12-step convention that very weekend, and she mm -hmm. said, she said, yes, she could come home under the condition. This is this is one of the advantages of having a mother in the 12-step program. If she did not charge me rent, she did say, in lieu of rent, you have to go to meetings. Mm -hmm. um, she said, mijo, I'm not going to charge you rent, but you better go to meetings. If you're going to stay under my roof, eat out of my groceries, mm -hmm. the only thing I'm going to charge you is meetings. I cannot believe how advantageous, okay. how foundational. I cannot believe that those words helped me the rest of my life, man. When she said, you just got to go to meetings, I fell in love with meetings. And yeah. I still go to meetings this very day. And it well, must have let been. Let me say this. Let me say this, bro. Uh -huh. So 
That weekend was a 12-step convention. My mother took me, and their main speaker was a guy named Carlise from Harlem, New York, who passed My away. You're My Carlise. Ernie. So when you told me Ernie, that yeah, you heard his bro. speaker tape, hey, Carlise wow. was the main speaker. Now, I'm already tired, and I'm hungry, and my mom wow. is in recovery. And when I heard this 12-step speaker put it down the way he did, Man. It, it, my head almost busted you know with hope. You know what's crazy is that this guy, right, rest in peace, Khalees, was able to reach you and was able to reach me. Man, I got clean Before it. social media. Before he social media. I never, he might have even not even been alive when I was listening. You know what I mean? I got clean at 17. I had heard so many different speakers at meetings, but I, like I said earlier, like this guy gave me oh, a, a yeah. this guy gave me a speaker disc of like 70 speakers. Rest in peace, Steve Burdick. This guy changed my whole recovery oh, with yeah. giving me this CD, and he gave me the CD, and I used to listen to Ron H. Khalees, like all these Jimmy T. Man, there's just something special about the way he shares, man. Oh yeah. It's able to reach people that are unreachable. Absolutely, man. Because Absolutely there was no one else reaching agree. me. No. I wasn't listening to nobody. I didn't care. I was addicted to crack. I had no intention of getting clean. And I started to hear speaker after speaker after speaker. And it's like once you hear something, you can't pretend you didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. It's like once something reaches you, even if you don't want to hear it, it's right. already reached you. Right. And it started to open my mind <laughs> to like this being a possibility. <laughs> And not just clean because being because I've been clean before and like it's okay for like three or four months and then I want to get high, but to like something beyond drugs. Oh yeah, like that's why I try to like you know preach to my guys is like, dude, this isn't about not using. Oh yeah, this is about a real high. This oh, is about yeah. a high that doesn't come down. This is about living mm -hmm. your life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, living your dreams. That that's so cool that he was your speaker. Well, I tell you what. So what year is this? This was in the year two thousand. Wow. This was 2000. My clean date is January 20th, 2000. The Twasta Convention was March, the third weekend of March. Hmm. It was in the city of Long Beach or Torrance, and he was the main speaker. Now, about seven years after that, I got to break bread with Carlise, who came to L.A., and we were all at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, mm. and we got to break bread, and I met him, became friends. In fact, with Jimmy T. and Ron H., I broke bread with them, been in their wow. houses. They've been in my house, so I know those guys yeah, real I, good. Man, man, this one time I was speaking at a workshop, and Ron H. was in the workshop listening yeah. to me speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, I couldn't even help. I, like, I was like, I can't believe Ron H. is here. And it's not just uh, like the people that are amazing speakers that have speaker tapes stuff like there are people that dedicated their life to 12-step work oh yeah and like people think like i do a lot man if if the whole fellowship did what i did it wouldn't even exist like what i do is so small compared to like the people who do area level service world service yeah. like all this the committee at conventions like there's so much that goes into it you really take it for granted when you first get clean because it's all absolutely. set up for you absolutely it's like you walk into a buffet and you see all the food oh, and you yeah. want to complain about the food but yeah. you don't know that someone had to cook yeah. this shit oh yeah in the crock pot absolutely. you know absolutely that was a good way of explaining it i was just gonna say the way carlise touched your life what you're doing with the treatment centers and the podcast, and I don't even know what else you're doing. You're 
giving hope to people you're never going to meet mm-hmm. the way you never met colleagues. Yeah, never so met them. So you're actually reciprocating and mm-hmm. doing what a lot of us do, and that is to bring hope to people you're never going to meet. Hopefully people reach out to you mm-hmm. through this broadcast yeah. or whatever other vehicles. And if not, you're actually touching people in a way that they couldn't have been touched if mm-hmm. you wouldn't have stepped out of your comfort zone, took a risk, and did some of the things you're doing. Yeah, and it's like, this is like episode 68, so yeah, I've been doing amazing. this for 68 weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I've only missed the podcast one time, so it's like, I've learned consistency through the 12-step program. Oh, yeah. Everything I've learned in my life through business, whatever, yeah. I learned by showing up and going to meetings, because okay. that's why I learned consistency, that's how I learned, you know, the turtle wins the race. Yeah. Like everything I ever learned uh, is people people in recovery. So let's go on with your story. So you go to your convention, you get on fire for the program. How, what the, was that convention like besides the speaker? Yeah, the convention was, I felt like a kid in a candy store mm. because I started seeing people with 12-step shirts, hats, a gold chain, and I didn't have nothing but my mother's couch, but I had desire. Mm-hmm. I had that desire. I had that soul, that hunger, that that spirit, man. And, and I seen all this. And I'll tell you what. So I hit all the main meetings, all the workshops. And then I found out they had something called marathon meetings. Yeah. So I went to the, the marathon convention. Meeting. I went to the marathon meeting. And I'm sitting inside the marathon meeting. And these two guys walked in. And when these two guys walked in, everybody went like that. They stopped what they're doing. And then they kind of like whispered. So I knew these two guys were, were big deals yeah. in recovery. And that was Jimmy Jam and Yo Steve. Wow. Those are the two guys that walked in. And and when I seen like, <laughs> like a, yeah, they're like celebrities. Yeah, yeah. People like, oh, that's, that's so yeah, yeah and, being famous in an anonymous yeah, program. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and Brian, I did not know that these brothers wow. were gonna be my brothers. About a year later, I met wow. Jimmy Jam and Yossi when I had like 15 months clean. Wow! And we became good friends ever since then yeah so um that was our first convention and when people say like legend status i just want to like reiterate it's like i've heard yo steve speaker tapes you know a hundred times too you know and it's like these are people that dedicate time and energy and pour into the fellowship that people have become like we don't have any like leaders or head figures or whatever like there's no famous people but there are people that have laid a lot of groundwork oh, and yeah. put in years and time yeah. that um, a lot of people see them as examples. Absolutely. A good way of explaining mm-hmm. it. Right after that first convention, I still with my mother till I had 11 months clean. And then I got my own apartment in the complex that I used to shoot dope in the mm-hmm. laundry room. I moved next door to my mother in apartment seven while she stood in six. And then... I knew I wanted to do something and not just make meetings. Mm -hmm. So my first act of growth was removing tattoos off of my face, my neck, and my hands. You had face tattoos? I did. I did. That's the first thing you did? I did. Had a year clean? I have facial tattoos across my sides, my chin. I had a big tattoo on this side of the neck, a tattoo on this side, and then I had tattoos right here, and they were all gang and prison related. And I always heard that recovery was about change. Now, 
So recovery is a very personal choice. I seen people get clean and put them all on. Yeah. I seen people get clean take and them take them off. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, seen yeah. people get clean and stop cussing. And I seen get people clean get clean cussing. and start cussing. Yeah, yeah. I seen people get clean and they never heard of fentanyl or heroin. They just got clean. Out. Yeah. They got clean because of weed. They relapse and come back a heroin addict because yeah, yeah. they hear it glamorizing the room. So yeah. I seen all these different things. So I knew I had to make personal choices how I was going to mm-hmm. do my path, my growth. That's cool. So just so people know is that like there's meetings all over the world, but like every state and city has their own type of flavor. And it's important for me that like I got clean in South Florida. So my first meeting ever, I saw like 20, 20 year olds. 20, 20 year olds? Yeah. Okay. It's like there was a bunch of young people that looked like me. It wasn't that weird. I used to just imagine that it would be like four people sitting like like this boring thing. And like my first meeting, there was like young people. There was some cute girls. There was yeah. people listening to rap music in the oh, parking lot. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the benefit of living in an area that's populated with different types of meeting. And I'm sure living okay. here, you saw people that look like yeah. you. Did you run into a lot of people that you use with when you first got clean or yes. not really? You did? Well, so when I first got clean. Or like other people that identified that, themselves as like ex-gang members. That's what it was. That was the attraction for me when I first got clean. Yeah. I didn't actually see someone that I shared the cooker with outside of my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So we left that part out of my stories. I, I got high with my mom, my dad, my brother, all in the same bathroom. Mm. It was horrible. This is an ugly disease. Now, I didn't see anybody in meetings at first that I got high with, but I did see many of the same culture that did the same things, mm-hmm. and that brought a measure of comfort. When I seen other gangsters and heroin addicts get clean and they were laughing, and there's like not the a beef. whole lot of humor yeah, in the yeah. addiction world. Yeah. When I seen them laughing and cheering and fellowshipping at Denny's or IHOP or yeah. some, some restaurant, yeah. when I seen a whole lot of that. So that if you heard me, I said I seen Yo Steve and Jimmy Jam, and I knew there were big things, but they were not similar culture. Mm-hmm. So that was the difference. It took me a long time to befriend people that were different on the other side of the tracks. Yeah. yeah. So when I got to the 12-step program, they started saying diversity is our strength, the broader the base, the higher the point of freedom, Mm -hmm. that you need that the more people in your life, the better off you're going to be, the freer you're going to be. I started noticing that some of the guys that dressed like me came from where I came was not going in the same direction. Mm Mm-hmm. So they were stuck. So even though, and I know you know what I'm saying, even though they were clean, they weren't really working steps and making changes to progress. And, mm-hmm. and they, they were fine where they were at. Being off of 100 milligrams of methadone was good enough, not for me. You wanted the change. I man. wanted to change. So it wasn't about outward appearance. It was about inward drive. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jimmy Jam and we found each other. When you're fired up and yeah. you're passionate, you attract each other, like-minded people. Just like using, you just start running into drug addicts. Yeah. 
yeah. You'd be outside at That's four so in the funny, morning. Yeah. You'd be like, man, I wish I had a, I wish I had twenty dollars. I know the oh, plug. Yeah. And then someone's like, yo, I got twenty dollars. I wish I could find someone who had the plug. Absolutely. And I was like, ooh. It was the same type <laughs> deal, man. Yeah, yeah. As uh, the attraction was seen the way you just said, you seen twenty year olds, a couple yeah. of cute girls. And rap in the parking lot. Yeah. That was what happened to me, but it wasn't 20 year olds rap or cute girls. It was when I seen other gang members uh-huh. that were rival gang members and weren't killing each other. Wow. That was a big deal to me. I couldn't believe it. This guy's from Clover and this guy's from Hazard. I'm from Dogtown and we could all be in the room. So that was a big deal for mm-hmm. me. Plus, my mother. Now, now, Brian, my mother had five years clean, and I think that was one of the advantages because I was immediately embraced and welcomed inside the rooms based on her reputation. Yeah, they were like, oh, she this was, is the son. Yeah, yeah. She was very active. That, she that's like you, if you bring in a newcomer, yeah. it's easier for them to, to dive in with both feet because of you. Yeah, you start introducing them to people 10 yeah. years clean. You, you know, like... I didn't know anybody when I got clean, but when I got my sponsor, he did that for me. Like he would take oh. me around to meetings. He'd introduce me to people. You know, he'd show me. You know, you know who's who. You know, you really need that, and it's and it's it's amazing that like your mom did that for you. You know. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. So how did your journey progress after that with being a pastor and finding your yeah, faith? Absolutely, and, and, man. I'm gonna take off my shirt because I want to show you something. Yeah, real yeah. Quick. Let's see. I got all these tattoos mm-hmm. from prison, right? To show that that is the lifestyle that I came from. It was truly a miracle. Now, I I think that recovery is a a miracle. And the miracle is that I got clean. But the real miracle is I wanted to be clean now. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be clean. And I had that fire. So even though I seen other people of my culture, that lasted so long. Then I started seeing people that were just very hungry. That just very 12-step oriented. That became my kick for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I burned tattoos off. So I joined a tattoo removal program. Wow. And it took two years to take my ink off. That was not a one-visit thing. Yeah. That was like 10 visits in a two-year span. Yeah, because you can't see them at all. So yeah. that's, they did a good job. Because you know I right. see so many people that are like, yeah, I'm getting my tattoo. I'm like, yo, you can still see that shit, you know? I get so much compliments on the work that these doctors did to take it off yeah because then they say the same thing you said there's not even no scars or nothing i don't have pictures my mother has pictures now like i told you i'm writing the book yeah. i'm gonna put the pictures in, in the, the book, book. Wow. so my mother has pictures of how i looked as a gangster and and oh on my social media i got pictures, got some pictures. i got I'll, some old, i'll throw them on there. i got some old pictures of me when i was a hispanic game or active and uh, so what I did was I took off the ink and I started going back to school. Mm. What inspired you to go to school? I wanted to work in the field of recovery, mm-hmm. the field of treatment, of rehab. And when I went to an interview, the guy asked, are you in school? I didn't even know. I thought you just had to be, the old school. Now there's so many requirements yeah. of certifications, KDAC, CCAP, RAT, but Old school treatment centers, all you had to do was be a dolphin and get clean. And you get hired. Yeah, get hired. You're good. You're hired. 
No, no. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah. I worked in treatment as a tech when I had five years. So okay, okay. You'd be like, tell us about yourself. You'd be like, well, I used to smoke crack. They're like, great. <laughs> Love that. It's the only place you could get a job where you'd be like, yeah, I used to be homeless and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I've never had a job in my life Absolutely. and I was a recovering heroin addict. Yeah. They'd you're be like, hired. you're hired. We love that. You'd fit well with our culture yeah. here. You know? <laughs> That's so humorous, man. Yeah, there ain't no but, other uh, place. You, you Try doing that at fucking Best Buy. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. When I worked in treatment the mm -hmm. guy the supervisor his name was mike Lagoston. he asked me are you going to school i said no he said are you registered enrolled in school and i said no and he said well i can't hire you but you can volunteer and i volunteered wow i went for free i worked for him for wow. four months for free then he hired me and i went to school but before he gave me the nudge internally i wanted to better myself. Hmm. So not only was I reading our fellowship book, because that became my foundation. Mm -hmm. There's a 12-step book that, that we go by, and I build my life in that book. So that book became the rock for me, my foundation. Man, I don't, my my I, first three or four years clean, I kept it with me on my person. Okay. <laughs> so people think I'm crazy, but like, I got clean in high school. I took That was the only book I carried. Yeah. And I read it over and over. over, and over when I used to go over. to the gym, I used to read it on the elliptical. Uh, yeah. Like, I was aware that this was a text to be studied. Oh, yeah. And, like, it was a comfort for me. Like, oh, I needed okay. to have it near me. Okay. And a lot of times people see me being young and successful and I have a lot of fun, but they don't see that, you know, there was a time they where like I didn't have a lot of friends. They don't see the work. I wasn't like well known. I was just this punk kid trying to learn and like, man, and right now you people ask you like, how are you going to get cleaner? And you point them to this book and they don't uh, want to read it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> like they think that there's like some uh, trick. They want a pill. They want yeah, the Yeah, they think it's like yeah. some trick. Uh, or something, I'm like, bro, I'm telling you, everything I know is from that fucking book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The book is right over there, so yeah. I don't keep it far. Yeah. So so this book, I don't stray too far from this book. If I do, mm -hmm. I become a danger to you, to me, and the world of which I live. Mm -hmm. So I started reading other self-improvement, self-development yeah. books. Like what? There was a spiritual book called One Path, and mm -hmm. I don't remember who the author was. And then I picked up another book called How to Develop Self-Confidence, and, and I just started reading like that. Wow. Now I'm really into it. Anything by John Maxwell, I read. Anything wow. by T.D. Jakes, I read. Anything by Les Brown, I read. Anything oh, by... Oh, Les Brown. Yeah, anything by Victor Frankl, mm -hmm. A Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Think and Grow Rich. So I, I like all the those books even though i live in this 12 set books i i read all these other books man to mm -hmm. just keep building and developing and learning yeah so they inspire I, you to want more oh, yeah. you know they push you they they change your perception they help you be more positive you know because i think naturally as addicts or even as human beings we always start focusing on what we don't have we start focusing on things that aren't going well oh, yeah. and it's like when you're you know filling your mind doing this spiritual workout, this mental workout, you start to build a condition where you're conditioning your mind to see anything negative as positive. Mm. So, you know, when you change the way you think by reading, reading is how you change how you think, right? Oh, yeah. You start to, like, when I see traffic, 
I've conditioned myself to say, I'm grateful I'm not in the accident. Yeah. You know, so it's like when something bad happens to me, I've conditioned myself to say like, well, I'm grateful that it's going like this, you know? Okay. That's only through work, you know? Doing the work. That's so good, man. Through all my readings, and I've been through the 12 steps four times. Mm. So I take step work real serious. I've done four, four steps. And the last one was a year ago. The last four step I did is so weird because you would think the first four step, the last four step was the deepest and wow. most thorough. Yeah. Okay. Because there was corners in my soul that still had mm -hmm. cogwebs that I had to get in there and knock those webs out in my spirit to do a fifth step. So I believe, ma'am, that one of the keys to success is self-awareness, mm -hmm. so that you have to know yourself to grow yourself. Now, I've been a counselor for over 21 years, wow. and when you're a counselor, you draw conclusions. And one of my conclusions is that most people have an unrealistic view of themselves. They don't know themselves. Well, by the time we get clean, we were at least three or four people depending on the crowd we were rolling with by the time we get here mm -hmm. so we don't know ourselves and the less you know yourself the more you're going to role play the more you know yourself the more authentic you're going to be with everybody you meet across the board where your yes is yes your no is no we call that integrity yeah so i wanted all that growth man i wanted all that i ended up brian i ended up doing 13 years of school the last seven years was university the first six was junior college hmm. i have a bachelor's degree what, what's it like going to school as somebody who is in recovery ex-gang member yeah. <laughs> track marks tattoos yeah. you yeah. know because i have i have a close friend of mine who's face tat whatever and he's starting up for school in like his late 30s and you know it's like it must be difficult or like there's a lot of fear or like what got you through that process yeah, yeah. heart courage hunger I did not even know that it was weird to be at 30. I was 30 years old and didn't stop school until I was 46. Uh -huh. I'm 50 now. Wow. Graduated cap and gown in 2018, and then I started a master's program. Mm -hmm. Halfway through the master's program, I decided to put it on hold and really get into work, my marriage, and my daughter. My daughter was a teenager, and I realized I, I needed to spend a lot of time with her, and the master's program was taking a lot of my time. Mm. And she's more important than the master's. So my priorities were correct, mm -hmm. so, and I don't regret putting my master's on hold. Yeah. All I'll revisit and finish my master's because I know what kind of person I am. I got to pour into my daughter. I'm pointing right there because her room is on the other mm -hmm. side. Now, when I didn't know that it was actually a misfit, I just showed up. <laughs> i tell you what. When I started school, I mm -hmm. still had ink on me. While I was in school, I was doing the, the removal, removal thing at the same time. Uh -huh. So I was an older guy, the oldest in class, with tattoos. I did not feel real scared or weird, man. I felt like proud. I felt like I was doing something. I believed in magic, man. Wow. And it took a long time. And there was a teacher, and her name was Bonnie Wild, W-I-E-L-D, Will Wild. And she was the English teacher at the university when I was working on my bachelor's. Mm. And she used to point that out. She used to point out 
how proud she was because I'm older, heroin addict, gang member, all Latino. Mm -hmm. Everybody was Caucasian. Everybody was a pre. I went to a Bible college. Wow. Everybody was a preacher's kid, and she used to point out how odds were stacked against me that it had to be God. And I wow. started. Oh yeah, because you went to that. like a oh, preacher yeah, school man. too. Yeah, I went to preacher school. There were times where inadequacy or my disease will sneak in. You know, funny story, man, is when I was getting ordained, right? Because I did seven years of Bible college. Mm -hmm. I graduated cap and gown. After I graduated, eight months later, I got an ordination ceremony and dinner. Mm -hmm. And as you're getting ordained, you got all your family there. You got a few friends there for the 12-step program. And then you had a couple of cakes, and then there's all this food. Before we got to the cakes and the food, I had to do all my declarations. The preacher reads he had this card no it was in his phone and it was like a code of ethics that i have to you know uphold mm -hmm. before they anoint you with oil and then all these pastors get around me and ordain in the middle of doing all this my disease creeped in and said now you're really going to hell wow. you know you're not worth it don't you dare sign your name you ain't i don't like cussing but he, he will say you ain't s-h-i-t you ain't nothing mm. and you're always gonna be a punk and you're always gonna my disease is telling me all this stuff wow making me think of my low self-esteem my mistakes my past trying to dangle in front of my face my history Mm -hmm. and keep me from my destiny and, and, and flag all this prison stuff and gang member stuff to get me to get sidetracked. So that was in the middle of the ordination ceremony, man, trying to get me to think of that. And I knew just because you got education or God, you still have a disease. Mm -hmm. And 12 steps works best yep. to treat a disease so I can maintain these other responsibilities in my life. Mm -hmm. One of my uh, favorite speakers when I first got clean used to say, you know, I have a disease that says I don't have a disease. Oh, yeah. You know, there's no uh, material solution to spiritual problems. Absolutely. Uh, there's just little things I've learned by going to meetings that I've just, like, have molded who I am. Absolutely. That's really incredible. You got an amazing story. Absolutely. So what pushed you to Christianity? I asked one of my professors, uh, Professor Sam, that he he was a pastor and a professor. We have different professors. Some were PhDs, some have masters, others just were a pastors. Mm -hmm. And Professor Sam was a Korean pastor. And I asked him that question, I, and what, how I framed it was, I said, do we choose God or does God choose us? Mm -hmm. And I never forget his answer because at the beginning it was unsettling to me. He said, it doesn't matter. That's what he said. He, yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm seeking, right? I'm going to the pastor. Like, don't I, said, I said, when we come to, I said, do we choose or are we chosen? He said, it doesn't matter. He says, while you're here, do the work and then get out there and help others. So wow. I, I understood his point. To put all your focus and all your energy and planting seeds and developing and discipling, helping other people. Recovery is the same thing. Cause oh I God, man, yes. I hear so many people like, I don't know if I'm an addict, I don't know if I was born an addict, I don't know da, da, da. And I used to tell people like, man, it, it don't matter. It don't matter. Like if you want to get in shape, it don't matter what you ate. It doesn't yeah. matter if you like cookies or whatever. I my sponsor used to say, like, man, if you're thinking about it, 
It's like wondering if you're gay. If you're wondering, you're gay. (laughs) And he was like, if you're not sure, if you're not sure if you're an addict, you're an addict. You probably are. Let's get on this. They're not thinking. Yeah, I I always say, man, if you ask people what, you know, 12 step programs are, they're going to say not applicable or American Airlines. They don't even know what those, what NA and AA is, you know? (laughs) So if you know what it is, you probably, Got a problem. Absolutely. I tell you what, brother. So, Brian, at four years clean, I was really, and I still am, into this 12-step program Mm -hmm. where I, I, I believe it, I breathe it, I eat it, I sleep it. It's in my heart. I, I promote it. And I didn't like any kind of church. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the two can mix. Yeah. I didn't like preaching. No, no, no. This 12-step. This for us, heroin. No, no, no. And my dad, remember I said me and my dad went through rehab? Mm-hmm. Well, me and my dad became roommates. Wow. So me and my dad are roommates, mm-hmm. and my mother is my neighbor. Now, my mother and father are divorced. They're not together, but they were friends. So my mother helped him get clean. She's living in apartment six. Me and my dad are in apartment seven. My dad is working for the rehab that me and him both went through. They hired wow. him. At 14, he, he stayed there, there 14 months. Yeah. He wow, he stayed, he stayed there 13 years. He stood years? there working for that organization until the day they shut down. Now, my dad met a woman mm-hmm. who worked at another rehab, and she was a drug counselor also heavily actively into church Mm. so she told my dad if you want a date you have to come to church with me my dad liked her so much he went to church he went to church fell in love with the lord became a usher wow and married her he ended up marrying her wow so one day he left a tape because when i got clean we were listening to the tapes this is before cds one day, there was a tape of the preacher of the church he was going to, and I seen the tape at out at the home, at our apartment, mm-hmm. and I played it. And this was a fire-preaching pastor named Pastor Charlie Gallegos mm-hmm. from Destiny Community Church in Whittier, California. Mm-hmm. And I said, Dad. And he dropped it like it was hot? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, man. I mm-hmm. thought just in 12-step programs we do that. I thought yeah. preaching was boring. And I, I said, hey, Dad, I said, is this the, the preacher of the church you go to? He said, yeah. I said, can you bring me a tape every Sunday? I said, but don't give it to me in front of my, my friends, Jimmy yeah. Jaminer. And yo, I said, just put it in a brown paper bag and leave it <laughs> leave it in the third bush outside, mm. man. Wow. And, and he did that for me, right? And I finally worked up the willingness, courage. I said, Dad, can I go to church with you? And I have four years clean. Wow. And I went to that church. Now, as I look back and tell this story, I could see God's fingerprints on the knocking on the door to my heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Through a tape? Come on, bro. Now I'm a pastor, did seven years in Bible college? This is not me. Mm-hmm. I would have chose a profession to make my an engineer. I would have if I'm if I'm gonna get student loans and go to a university <laughs> to get. I would have chose welding, a engineer, a something with money. Yeah. But this was totally spirit led. Mm-hmm. God telling me, I need you to get thoroughly educated and thoroughly 
trained through a biblical-based college, and then I want you to start a church that targets people in recovery who do not feel comfortable in mainstream or traditional churches. You're not going to violate traditions, but you're in recovery. You're going to be a minister, and you're going to reach people who are also in 12-step programs mm -hmm. that don't feel completely comfortable because we believe that you could be 100% devoted to Christ and 100% committed to your recovery and proceed to live your life on that basis with a foot mm -hmm. on each side. Now I catch flack for it. Everybody's not open and yeah, supportive. Yeah. So I take my lumps because of it. But the good that I'm doing is so much higher than taking the lumps. Yeah. So I preach at a church with about 40 members, mm -hmm. all 12 step members. Wow. I also work today, I also work in treatment. I am what you call an independent contractor as a group facilitator. I work for four rehabs, all for-profit high-end treatment mm -hmm. centers throughout West LA, Marina Del Rey, Beverly Hills. And all I do is I go in there and teach groups. I don't talk about my faith, Christianity. That's not what it's for. Mm -hmm. I am very immersed in 12 steps, and I know not to violate traditions. So I go in there and give hope meaning 12-step stuff, and I know how not to mix the two very good. Let me ask you, as someone who's been clean as long as you have, why do some people stay clean, other people don't? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, man. I think that could be answered a few ways. I think one of them is complacency. I think complacency, the definition of complacency is doing what you've always done. Mm -hmm. So complacency means doing the minimum or doing what you always done. You lose fire and curiosity that's in your soul. And before you know it, I think complacency, when you stop going to meetings and stop doing the very things that got you to where you're at and you lose a desire or hunger to climb higher mm -hmm. in life, man, or in your recovery, once you stop right there, not going to meetings and doing step work or helping another individual, the consequence doesn't show up at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It compounds. It's so subtle. It'll work. Your disease will wait. This is a patient disease. It'll wait for you to give it an opening to jump in your life and get the insanity, the circus started all over again. So mm -hmm. sometimes when I teach relapse prevention, I always say drugs and alcohol is the last stage to relapse. Yep. Right here. Drug getting high is the last stage. It starts over here. So the trick is to identify what over here looks like because it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So behavior relapse or spiritual relapse or lack of daily maintenance yep. shows up over here. But I think because the consequences is not evident immediately. And then before you know... It's hard to identify the, when there's no consequence. Absolutely. The other thing, Brian, I think is medical stuff. Mm. I see a lot of people my age, 50 years old and up, that have multi... I have 22 years clean. 
And I've seen people go through surgeries, cancer, end up on a medication, and that takes them all backdoor style, yep. man. They don't just jump out and mm -hmm. go to the Compton or, or the projects to cop. They go out backdoor style behind surgeries mm -hmm. and different medical issues, man. I think loneliness and depression are other big relapse triggers is depression, loneliness. Now, the book talks about the old-timers' inability to be completely honest mm. with where they're at 100%. because you got so much time. People look at you and depend on you and look to draw You become like a you. dentist who stops brushing their teeth. Absolutely. That's so good, too, mm -hmm. man. <laughs> you become like the dentist who stops brushing. Yeah, I think there's old-timers mm -hmm. that just... Their deceitfulness and, and inability to share when they're hurting on the inside, it stacks up. So what you don't talk about, you carry. And what you carry robs you of your peace to the core. Mm. So what we're not writing or addressing with our sponsor, those feelings associated with whatever event, a divorce. My friends talked about me. I got backstabbed. My parents divorced. The emotions associated with those traumatic events, if they're not processed or talked about, they stay in the background wearing you down messing with you robbing mm -hmm. you and before you know it man bam unprocessed emotions associated with outward events that could be it too yeah in the book uh, we both read I, I remember reading specifically it says our two greatest enemies complacency and apathy yeah complacency being doing the same thing and not trying to strive for better and being oh, stuck yeah. and then apathy is not having any type of emotion towards something and, you know, I really believe that enthusiasm is not like an addition to, it's like a need. So it's like when you lose enthusiasm for anything, oh, you start anything. to lose it. And that's in relationships. Yeah. You know, it's really hard for me to be in a relationship because honestly, I lose enthusiasm. Yeah. It's, you know, but like with work, <laughs> it's true. I lose enthusiasm after yeah. a couple, not, not too long, you know? So yeah. it's like, I'm just being honest. Hey, thank you. But it's like, you know, I lose, you know, as I, you know, the gym. If, oh, if you lose yeah. enthusiasm in the gym, you're going to stop wanting to go to the gym. Your workouts are going to get a little less and less. You're going to start eating. So it's like, you know, there's uh, things that we need to do to stay motivated oh, yeah. and to re-spark the charge. When, when the flame goes down, we got to identify oh, it and we got to throw some more fire in it. And that's what speaker tapes, you know, going to different oh, areas, wow. introducing different people. Lovely. And it's the same thing for everything we do with community, with working out, with eating good, with, with finances. Oh, yeah, bro. So, um, hey, I want to appreciate you coming on the show. That's so good. Uh, you killed it. You had yeah. an amazing story. Amen. You know, right it's on. so cool to see you and right your, your whole family get yeah. clean. The fact that your mom and dad got clean, yeah. it's like, you know, people would say that's like yeah. winning the lottery twice. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know what? What a great way to put it. Because so many people lost their mother to an overdose or father. Mm -hmm. So let me end with this. So I have 22 years clean. My wife has 32 years clean. Mm. My mother has 27 years clean. My father passed away six and a half years ago with 15 and a half years clean. My 
father remarried the woman that took him to church. Hmm. He remarried Linda, and Linda has 28 years clean. Wow. She's very close to my family today, even though my dad passed. I got a cousin named Sherry who's clean, and I got a cousin named Nathaniel who's clean. I think Nathaniel has like eight or nine years clean. Wow. Sherry has 12 or, or 13 years clean. So I got like seven or eight. 12 step members in my family, family system so cool absolutely man so that stuff works i work in treatment that works that's the vehicle you know i like that component in treatment where uh, a lot of times treatment is designed to funnel a client into a 12 step program mm -hmm. where they feel comfortable and could grow in that's not on me though they, that's um, what they do yeah yeah, yeah so Thank you very much hey, for having me I appreciate you coming on the, on the show. show God bless this you, brother. This so good, hey, thank man. You. God cool. bless you, brother. Yeah, yeah. My Mexican good. family over here. Yeah. Where's the tortillas that we're going to eat later? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All we're right, thank you, brother. You appreciate it. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833 9991877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. <laughs>